Welcome to The Hub Dialogues, a podcast that celebrates big thinkers and bold ideas about a better future for all of us. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. Our goal at The Hub is to escape the opinion bubbles of conventional conversation and prod our popular discourse back to the issues and ideas that can shape our collective future. On The Hub Dialogues, you'll hear Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, in conversation with some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers about the issues and ideas they're passionate about and that they think we should spend more time focusing on. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granosky Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Hello, Hub Podcast listeners. I'm Sean Spear, Editor-at-Large at The Hub and host of Hub Dialogues. Today, we're bringing you a past episode from June 30th with Tariq Kadhad, the entrepreneur, philanthropist, and public speaker, whose personal story of coming to Canada as a Syrian refugee in 2015 and starting a chocolate business in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, was made into a highly acclaimed film of the same name as his iconic family business, Peace by Chocolate. In the dialogue, Tariq and I discussed his extraordinary experience the tremendous generosity of his community, and what it's like to see your life story in film. The next voice we'll hear is mine in conversation with Tariq Hadhad. Tariq, thank you for joining us at Hub Dialogues, and congratulations on receiving the Platinum Jubilee Medal. Thank you very much, Sean. I'm, I'm truly humbled and flattered by all the kind words that you have said, and it means the world to me. Thank you very much for, for having me today. Let's start with chocolate. How did your family get into the chocolate business in Syria? What drew your father to chocolate? It was a love story, actually. It was a love story of how to make the world a happier place, how to make an impact, how to create change through entrepreneurship, a different understanding of entrepreneurship, as my family wanted to say in many instances, that chocolate makes happiness. Everyone eats chocolate will be happy. No one eats chocolate will ever be sad. And the reason why we got into the chocolate business is because... my father graduated as a civil engineer, and then he wanted to do something different with his life than just being a, you know, a conventional civil engineer that studied in the university and learned the guidelines the same way that hundreds of thousands of civil engineers are being trained every single year around the world. So he wanted to create something different. He wanted to do something remarkable, something unique. And that's when he realized that chocolate is the best path. You know, It was uh, the product that makes everyone happy, but at the same time, I remember the old days when my family used to tell us the main reasons why the the business started in Syria was really because it was uh, at a time when there was not a whole lot of uh, uniqueness around the Syrian chocolate. And my father wanted to create something that is remarkable uh, and something that can be exported everywhere. You know, it used to be that you eat Belgian chocolate in Syria or chocolate made out, outside the country in Turkey or in Germany, or imported from somewhere somewhere else, and no one really used to to get Syrian chocolate anywhere. That's when he really started to create that appetite in the market, and that's when he started to make sure that he has something that uh, he can offer to the Syrian people, but also it can be kind of a product of ambassadorship that the entire world can really eat, and that's when the company started exporting everywhere. The company was sending chocolate to Belgium, Imagine sending Syrian chocolate to Belgium. Imagine the the uniqueness that it must have had, you know, to make sure that it it's being uh, celebrated 
in many places around the world. And this is something that my family had been really proud and honored to share with the entire world every single day since uh, we have made that transition from uh, the civil engineering journey of my father, you know, to my journey in becoming uh, a physician in Syria and really bring it uh, to the world, not only in Syria, but also here in Canada. So it was really a noble mission, I guess, of making sure that you do what you love and you create an impact through anything you do. As you mentioned, the family business was thriving prior to the war in, in Syria. What happened to the business? And, and more importantly, what ultimately drove you and your family out of Damascus in 2012 and into a refugee camp in Lebanon where you would spend the next three years? There was a lot going on during the war that tore my immediate family apart. Many of my family members were killed and went missing in the war. I remember the hard days of having to shelter in a little tiny room in the basement with my family and all the the kids in the family and uh, everyone would be just saying we are counting down to death and the roof can collapse on all of our heads. Uh, that was in 2012. The war reached Damascus at that time and we did not know where the country was going. You know, in 2010, we were just making big plans for the next 10 years. No one really knew that anything can collapse at in a split moment. Anything can just uh, be destroyed in a blink of an eye. And that's really when the factory was destroyed by an airstrike by the end of 2012. And I remember, you know, the, the, all the, the hard um, experiences that our family had to go through after that because it was uh, at a time when all of our family members were uh, rushing out of the country and now they are scattered in over 26 countries around the globe. So we were lucky that we, we even got live outside the country. We were lucky that we had another chance while many Syrians we're counting down to death and we're dying really in a war that I did not want to become part of. That's when the factory was bombed by the end of 2012. It was a horrific story. The story of the factory bombardment always really um, kind of shocked me, you know, in so many ways because remembering it, it was very heartbreaking. It was because my family wanted to stay in Syria, but at the same time, we were not able to because uh, we had lost everything. And at the end of the day, becoming a refugee or an immigrant does not does not mean this was a life goal, this was a choice, this was a decision. This was something we were forced to go through every single day throughout the journey. Every single day when we think about the displacement, when we think about how much we lost, how much, you know, we had to go through, uh, it was something that, uh, it was incredibly painful at so many points. I guess what matters at the end, to be honest, Sean, that we got alive, um, we got outside the country in a way that uh, gave us another chance of living, another chance of restarting, another chance of uh, celebrating who we are as human beings and not really letting it uh, play the role of a victim. No one wanted to play the role of a victim as a refugee. Everyone was forced to be in that uh, seat. And I think uh, we just wanted that experience to take the back seat for once and just we take our own control of our lives again. That's why we applied to Canada, to come to Canada in 2014, because we felt uh, our lives were just passing by. And Canada gave us the opportunity to uh, to live again. And that was really something that we are always be for, um, grateful for. I've heard you sp speak a bit about the idea of being a refugee. That is to say, the emotional and spiritual sense that you've lost something, including your business, your identity, and your sense of the future. Can you just reflect on those feelings that you had at that time? A hundred percent. You know, the, 
the whole experience of becoming a refugee was because we did not know what the tomorrow is going to bring us. Uh, we did not know what the future is holding for our family, and we did not know if we will get that uh, that chance to immigrate or we can go back to our homeland. There was so much uncertainty, so much adversity. I think indifference from the entire world. You know, there was so much intolerance, or so much anxiety at the same time. You know, from the host communities because they have they had to welcome millions of people from Syria, between Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan and Iraq. Imagine if 2 million people just showed up at the Canadian border within one year. The entire country would, would collapse. You know, we are, we, are, we are the second largest country in the world, but we don't have enough housing. We don't have enough you know, resources. Even one of the G7 countries, one of the G20, we would not be able to host them, not be able to, to, to really make sure that we offer them a, a life with dignity. So it's the same thing for Lebanon. It's a, Lebanon is a country of 4 to 5 million Lebanese, and they welcomed 1.5 million Syrians. That's like 25% of the population, 25 to 30% of the population. And just imagining, you know, how much we were welcomed, how much we were, we were um, celebrated, how much, you know, we were given, how much chance even to stay there for 2.5 years. It was absolutely remarkable, really incredible. So the whole message is really we need to support the countries that welcome the refugees. The first countries that welcome refugees uh, are very important to be supported because Canada is the second, you know, probably phase for a lot of them, including Ukrainian refugees now. Why don't you talk a bit about the private sponsorship process? Who is Safe Society and how do they end up sponsoring you and your family? Interestingly, I did not know anything about private sponsorship before I came to Canada. SAFE is an incredible group of Canadians, uh, Canadian leaders in a small society of Antigonish, a small town in Nova Scotia. And they were like every other platform, every other uh, incredible organization. They were looking for ways to help Syrian refugees after the war and after, you know, the picture of Alan Kurdi who the little uh, child who washed up on the Turkish shores at that time. And they just wanted to help uh, and they just wanted to, to make sure that they can use, I think, the privilege and the blessing of being a Canadian in ways that they can change lives for others. And our family was, you know, one of the lucky ones. They actually did fundraising to bring one Syrian family. And so far, they have over 25 to 30 families that have arrived. They did not know where things can go. They did not know if they can raise twenty-five to $30,000 per family to give it to the government, to secure an account, to bring a family here, to sponsor them. So private sponsorship group, it's, it's something very noble. And you know what's more noble about knowing the other person? There are a lot of families in Canada that sponsor their relatives or their friends. But in that case, you would know who the other person is. For me, when I arrived in, in Nova Scotia, no one knew who I was. No one knew how I looked like. The only thing they had was my name. Like They didn't even give them a picture of me, although I look, I look more handsome than Leonardo DiCaprio in so many cases, but that, that was not, the, that was not you know, the thing that they cared about. What they cared about is, um, I think when I reflect about the way that they have done the sponsorship, they were, they were always caring about me being a human being seeking safety and peace. They, they were caring a lot about uh, changing my lives. Like, uh, like you know, we, we as immigrants, we come here to also not only change our own life, but the destination for many others. And I think that's the noblest part about Canada because uh, what I'm happy about these days as well is that other countries and governments are learning 
learning the Canadian example. What did you think when you learned you were going to Antigua Nish? Uh, what was it like arriving in December 2015? At that time, I absolutely uh, was shocked, you know, for the first time. I was shocked with um, happiness. I was shocked with excitement at the same time. You know, when you get to a new place, you have no idea who you're going to meet. You have no idea what your life is going to look like. You have no idea if you're going to be successful or not. What you know is you have arrived in a community that is full of love and kindness that is willing to support you along the journey that is gonna give you everything that you need to make sure that you are successful and i i had many concerns because i grew up in damascus city of five million people i ended up in antigonish a town of five thousand so the only thing i had is just to shrink down three zeros at the end of the population and that's here we are so it was it was pretty interesting how life could change when you move to a different place because places shape us. Homes are different. And I think the community has certainly come together in ways that I have never seen that any other country or any other community does for any other cause, you know, before we really came here. I know that Canada welcomed refugees before Vietnam refugees, Iraqi refugees, Rwandan refugees, Kenya from Kenya. And a lot of immigrants arrive in Canada, hundreds of thousands of immigrants arrive in Canada every single year. But the way that I saw Canadians rally behind the cause of supporting Syrian refugees, the same way they did back then for Vietnam refugees, Iraqi refugees, was so heartwarming because at so many points we lost faith, we lost hope in the in the entire world that we, there, there are other people caring about what's going on in for refugees in places like Lebanon or Turkey when you cannot even plan for your tomorrow. So arriving in this place has certainly been life-changing for me forever. But I think the biggest word to use for the community of Antigonish is, is inspiration. I think the, the inspiration and the sense of resiliency was really the main thing that uh, I think uh, we all need to reflect on whenever we talk about Antigonish, whenever we talk about how can we change other people's lives like Canada has changed our lives. Uh, and the community is now uh, a leading platform for and voice for many other causes, not only to support refugees, but the Antigonish movement has always been about celebrating leadership and reflect on our own leadership as human beings. How can we make sure that we keep going and never really give up on making the changes to make sure that we live in a just society, that we live in a in equity, that we live in fairness, that we live in a community of freedom and peace? And I think these are the values that govern us here in Canada. And I think uh, it couldn't have been more reflected than the community, the beautiful community who supported us and who came together to bring our family here. Because uh, by the end of 2016, we were up and running again as a family, came here with nothing but with our skills and talents. And they were there for us every step of the way. They were by our side. They were, they were absolutely incredible human beings and they were great at being humans. Let me ask you about that first year. Upon your arrival, you decided to put your medical aspirations on hold and help your father rebuild his chocolate business. What was that decision like? Why was it important for you and your dad to rebuild the family company? It was at a time when there was so much negative narrative around immigrants and people who come to Canada for many purposes. People were uh, people had concerns about you know. Uh, paying too much for uh, refugees to come here or they would live on welfare or taxpayers' money. And I've heard comments like, why did you come here to take our jobs, you know? 
And then when I was not able to go back to medicine, uh, a career and passion for me since I was born, I thought to myself, why would I sit down and complain? Why don't I dig down and find solutions? Like we, whenever we have any challenge in life, we, these, we have these two options, whether to play the role of a victim or whether to play the role of a victor. And the Canadian system has made it so difficult for refugees or immigrants and international students whenever they come here with um, a lot of uh, credits for their medical degrees or pharmacy or, or dentistry or any high, you know, skilled labor, uh, they just don't get credits for it. They don't get qualified to really start back where they left back home because they're, they're, it's, it's so outdated. I think that we need to think about it differently of how much talent we are losing as a country by not allowing people to go back to the things that they love the most, which I think for me, it was a great thing at the same time, because if I went back to medicine, none, none of that would have happened. None of my journey would have been possible because I'd be busy all night within behind books and learning and studying and just going to, to classes. So it was, it was incredible. I think the ultimate goal for my dad was to have a legacy for the family here in Canada, like he did back home in Syria. And then when I realized the sense, you know, you need resources, you need people, you need a vision, and you need something, you need a vehicle to drive that vision and that, that mission. And that was impossible when we came here by ourselves. Like, we couldn't have done it alone. You need people around. You need people who believe in what you believe in. If you are an entrepreneur, that means that you decided to jump off those cliffs and build that plane on the way down. Because if you did not, you probably were not going to figure anything out before you start. So the start is just jumping off those cliffs and then building that plane and then flying again. You have to learn how to fly after you build that plane. And that was absolutely something that we had to figure every step of the journey. If you ask me in 2016 that I'd be sitting here with you in 2022 as we built uh, one of the, I think I, I'm, I'm really humbled uh, to, to call Peace by Chocolate, one of the biggest national brands right now for chocolate. We are growing as a size for the company, but the brand itself it's one of the largest, actually. Most people are so aware right now of our cause from coast to coast to coast. And I had no idea back in 2016 that this was going to happen in a short period of time. But I think at the end of the day, what mattered was that we, we kept the faith and we kept going and we translated our skills and opportunity into a life for our family here and in lives for others. And that's when we started offering jobs for the community in the first year. And uh, the cause for the company was always spread peace in many ways. And that started with the wildfires in Fort McMurray when we decided to donate all of our proceeds at that time to relief efforts to help Canadians on the other side of the country back then that they were fleeing their homes. And we launched that campaign just to make people aware of, you know, how many newcomers can join our campaign. That's why really we made it public to them. And then we had thousands of newcomers coming to our uh, doors and asking us how they can uh, help together. So they, we had launched that national campaign. It became a huge, absolutely huge success to support uh, Canadians on the other side of the country in Alberta and Fort McMurray. Just like Canadians helped us, we were so honored to help Canadians who were losing everything at that time to the wildfires. But that was only the first cause we had. Now we have almost eight major partnerships to support causes across the country because we believe that peace is very noble and everyone deserves it. You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Go to our website, www.thehub.ca, and sign up for our daily email newsletter, Per Diem. 
Each morning at 7 a.m. Eastern, in your inbox, you'll receive the cutting-edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors, all curated for you based on the issues and ideas that are moving the public conversation. Sign up now, free of charge, at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. Let me ask you, well, Peace by Chocolate started in your family's kitchen. It's now one of the largest employers in Tigwanish, and as you say, one of the most salient corporate brands across the country. Besides good chocolate, why do you think your business has resonated so much with Canadians? Well, you know, we say peace before chocolate. We could have called it chocolate for peace, but we decided to start with peace because that's what matters. It's the cause. It's the, the, the thought. It's the passion. It's the dream. It's the enthusiasm. It's the excellence. It's the contribution. All of those really are the things that make Peace by Chocolate what it is today. It's, it's the great product, but at the same time, it's the lasting feeling of peace and hope whenever someone eats a little piece of our chocolate. It's a reflection. Whenever someone eats one of our chocolate, I think they will become proud Canadians to think how great this country is that opened the doors for us. How lucky we are to be in a country where we are able to help and welcome refugees and immigrants. So, you know, I'm biased. <laughs> I'm very biased when I talk about Peace Chocolate. So I don't know if this is the right question to me, but Peace Chocolate is like an absolute great brand. I'm so proud of where we are today. And to give you, to give you examples, you know, back home, we, it took us around um, 15 years just to register the business and get the things going. My dad used to tell me back in 1987 when he started, you know, building his the brand. And now the things that we did here in Canada within a short period of time for the same things, it took us two, three weeks to trademark the company, register it. And now, you know, we are in our sixth year here in business. And I think uh, the level of awareness and the brand reach that we have right now is something that we are so lucky to have and something that we've worked so hard for. But at the same time, none of the credit should only go to us. It should be, uh, it's a team effort that was really spent uh, by the community members who believed in our mission and by many of our team members. You know, we have to be grateful for all the people that they have joined our cause since the beginning. And at the end of the day, you know, you need a cause to bring people together these days, especially at so so much hatred and so much anxiety and so much uncertainty, I think, around the world. People need to People need something to bring them together. People need something to uh, aspire to. People need something to, uh, I think, as Canadians, to uh, make sure we uh, we celebrate what what immigration is doing for our country. Uh, if we are not indigenous on this land, then we came from somewhere, and our grandparents came from somewhere, or grand great grandparents came from somewhere. So thinking about the whole idea of immigration in a whole different lens. You know, it's not like if you arrived here 100 years ago, you're still an immigrant, right? Like if you got here 50 years ago, you're still an immigrant. And uh, although we are all Canadians, you know, we celebrate all what Canada is all about, but at the same time, without taking that first step, that big transition, uh, we we would not have had any, any opportunity. I think we should be thankful that Canada kept the doors open for our, our generation and like it did, you know, for... A lot of people before us and that's what we want the company to reflect it's uh, a great i think canadian story of all the values of freedom and compassion and empathy i think that's really what matters when it comes to peace by chocolate but at the same time we have very much uniqueness in our brand you know within the delicious chocolate bars that we make but also the the brand uh, and the chocolate bar collections between peace bars peacemaker bars welcome to canada 
peace of mind, you know, the classic boxes, but also the artisan pieces, which is little pieces of jewelry that it takes us weeks to make a few boxes of those. So <laughs> for beauty to enjoy the exuding sophistication and excellence that we put into each one of our products. And I think uh, it doesn't hurt to make great chocolate and premium product, but at the same time, spread a message that uh, everyone deserves. Everyone wants peace and everyone loves chocolate. It's a perfect marriage, you know, to... Uh, it's a great uh, testament, you know, to to test the idea of peace and the the taste of chocolate. Uh, you became a Canadian citizen in 2020. Uh, talk talk about that experience. What did it mean for you and your family? I was lucky that my citizenship ceremony was two months before the pandemic. It was one of the last few ceremonies that happened. So I was in person and I saw the reactions from. A lot of people, and I was sitting there with 49 other new Canadians who we got all the citizenship together. We took the oath in that room with great energy that I will never forget in my entire life. Uh, I think that day was one of the biggest days of my entire life that I remember forever, if not the biggest. I was the, the freest. I was the most proud. I was the most honored at that day to become a citizen of the country that respect us, that gave us dignity, that gave us the opportunity to live again. And uh, I um, I was absolutely so excited to give back at the same time. You know, becoming a citizen does not only giving does not give you the license to enjoy the privileges that this country give you, but also a responsibility to give back, a responsibility to become an active citizen, a responsibility to do a lot. So there was a lot of weight on my shoulders before that time of be- being someone who does not belong. I think the main thing about being a citizen of Canada is that sense of identity and belonging that many Canadians don't think about. You know, many Canadians take it for granted. Canadian-born, many Canadians that that I meet are so proud to be Canadians, but I always talk about the idea of losing that identity and belonging and how painful it is, you know, that experience of... Uh, becoming a refugee or an immigrant and not knowing where you belong and not knowing who, uh, where your future is going to take you is uh, is such a, a painful journey that you, whenever you get the chance to belong again, you think about it differently and you don't take it for granted. I think it's all about the perspective of uh, identity and the perspective of the newcomer journey to Canada in ways that... Uh, we were lucky enough to reflect a lot on it. So that day, I will never forget in my life. And then my family became citizens a year and two years after me. Now everyone in our household is a Canadian citizen. And I got my passport in February 2020. So I didn't get to use it at all for two years. <laughs> it was just sitting in my drawer, although I was so excited to do that. But at the same time, you know, there was uh, a lot of pride, I guess, that I got to celebrate and travel across Canada over the past two years, even during the pandemic. And I think uh, celebrating my first two years as a citizen during the pandemic has given me a whole new depth to how Canadians come together during crisis. And that's what I am the most proud of, that, you know, we, we stood together, we survived together. The movie Peace by Chocolate has received considerable acclaim. What's it like to see your story in film? What's that experience been like for you and your family? I I would lie if I didn't say that was a surreal experience. That was something I've never have imagined a few years ago. Uh, to see someone portraying that he's me on the big screen. I was just watching another movie yesterday and movie theater, and then there was a trailer, and there was I am a Walmart who's playing me in the movie, and people were like, "Oh, this is Tarek." I'm like, "No, I am the real Tarek, guys. I'm just sitting in the back seat." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just crazy because. Uh, Living an experience that probably 
less than 0.05% of the entire population of the world would live is out of this world. Uh, we worked a lot on that movie. We worked on it for over six years, since 2017. Actually, we started talking about the idea of bringing this to light, you know, and, and uh, uh, telling the story to a wider audience. So I think uh, the story of the movie, I'm not sure. Did you watch it yourself, Sean? I'm afraid I haven't had a chance yet, but I've, I've watched the trailer and can't wait to see the full film. The story in the movie is actually quite interesting. It's it had some dramatic additions, for sure. You cannot just make a movie and uh, do it in a documentary style because that would not work. You No one's going to go watch it, actually, if it's a documentary in Cineplex or showing on anywhere, you know, online. No one really is going to care about the story as much as I think the movie maker and everyone who's working and the producers and the we have uh, hundreds of people who worked on it over the years actually we, they believed in telling the story in different mediums and you know for international audience they needed to add some drama and comedy and some characters and some you know flavor to it although our story was enough but we felt that we wanted it to reach a wider audience and that's why the movie for example you know have conflict within the family and conflict within the community and how uh, people sometimes they have fears against newcomers and then all the fears dissolve after newcomers prove themselves that they are here as givers and not takers. So I'm really happy that the story now is on the big screen. I'm really happy that we were honored to tell our story of and the truth after living so much uh, trauma over the years as a family after losing so much to be able to tell the world that it is possible. It is possible with love, it is possible with kindness, it is possible with um, community, it's possible with humanity, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, what doesn't kill you um, is something uh, that you need to keep reflecting on as a human being, because our experiences are gonna, are, are really, I think the umbrella of our experiences should be around looking up to the things that bring us together and the similarities that we have as human beings. We as newcomers and as Syrians, you know, we, we probably lost everything in the war. But when we came here, we had the same purpose of life like Canadian-born citizens, right? We had the same goals, the same aspirations, the same dreams. Because refugees are physicians, are engineers, are pharmacists, are builders, are community builders, are givers, right? Those are refugees. Those are immigrants. It's not like, you know, you are, you are exotic, you are an alien, you know, if you come kind of from a different country. So I'm really happy that the movie was always reflecting on the idea of bringing people together. That answer, Tariq, is a good segue to my final question. What kept you going during the difficult parts of your story? How did you stay positive and hopeful? I think I believed at so many points that in life there are peaks and there are valleys. You know, the valleys make us appreciate the peaks and the peaks are a time of celebration, but also to, to target another peak in life. So when we hit the rock bottom, when we were in that valley and we were thinking about how can we reach a peak again? What did we do wrong? What, what happened right? What happened wrong? All of that really has taught us many lessons in life. But the main lesson was resiliency through adversity, something that does not come on the comfort of your couch. You know, you have to live through a crisis and you have to survive. You have to learn on your own how to adapt. You have to, to be that person that really, I think, make the best out of any opportunity because uh, all the experiences that we have lived was not planned for. Like anything we have survived over the past 10 years, from the war to the displacement journey of to immigration to the pandemic, like everyone else, no one planned for this. 
like no one really knew how to, there was no recipe or guideline. There was no catalog that tells you you have to do one, two, three in a crisis. You have to figure all this stuff on your own. You have to learn the second language. You have to adapt to the culture. You have to survive a cultural shock, which was absolutely a serious, you know, um, issue for newcomers. Uh, whenever they arrive in a new place, there's a cultural shock when you have to wake up one day and just wonder about what are you doing here? You know, what is the purpose of your immigration journey? What is the plan? What's the goal? What's the ultimate strategic goal for uh, for your journey in life? Whether you are you stayed on the path where you left back home or whether you are building something new. You always have these questions about what are you going to do next? How can you give back? How can you... Uh, be grateful. I think celebrating gratitude and being proud of who you have become and what happened to you in life is something that that keeps you going. And I am a big believer that motivation does not hit you in bed. You know, uh, you have to you have to get up. You have to take responsibility for the first steps in life, especially as an immigrant. I realized that no one was going to come and knock on the door and ask me, Tarek, what are you going to do tomorrow? Or what did you bring to Canada? What are the skills? What are the talents? No one did that. I think we were we were very similar to a lot of uh, former immigrants in ways that we believed we have to be laser focused on our mission. We have to be laser focused on building a Canada that is better for our kids, you know, leaving this country better for our kids and grandkids than we found it. And I think the privilege of uh, the newcomer experience comes from having fresh set of eyes uh, to change the community to the better to tell people that it is unfair for indigenous people to live without drinking water, to tell people that it is unfair, you know, that so many community members, they have to live with injustice for their for their lifetime, you know. It's, it's, uh, these are the seeds for conflict that really has just torn our immediate family apart, that tore my country apart, my homeland apart, uh, Syria. Because if we do not take care of uh, these little seeds of conflict, it grows into a bigger conflict, a wider conflict, and then becomes a catastrophe and then becomes a war, you know. And I'm not saying that peace is only the absence of war. This actually uh, the celebration of the basics that we that we get together as, as human beings, which is, you know, um, starting a life, starting a business, um, seeing your kids going to school, um, you know, making sure that you are happy and you are fulfilled and you have uh, all the social determinants of health in your society are being met. All of that really is a true meaning of peace. You know, all of that brings brings people together. And without it, no one can go to work. No one can build businesses. You cannot raise kids. You cannot do anything without peace. And even doing this recording would not have been possible without peace. And at the same moment we're recording this, a lot of people around the world are not living in peace. They are scared. They are infused because we still, as human beings, we don't know how to live in peace, how to live in harmony, how to to come together, you know, and in, in, uh, and tolerate our differences and accept them. I think that's why the company right now exists. That's why our company exists in Syria. We did not have the name Peace by Chocolate because at that time we did not know the importance of it until really we lost everything in the war. So I'm grateful for the experiences that have taught us the real meaning of a value like peace and, and coming together, but also of rebuilding yourself. Like, you know, once you go through this experience once, nothing else is going to hurt you. Like, what's worse that could happen to you, you know, because the worst already happened, you know, and that's really, that was my sense during the pandemic at the same time. A lot of people were like, how do you compare living through a war to living through a pandemic? And I said, well, in 2013, during the war that tore my immediate family apart, 
we were forced to leave our homes and we were forced to lose everything. In the pandemic in 2020, we were uh, asked to stay in our homes. We were asked to stay safe. And I said, I will take a million pandemics, you know, over a war uh, because it's you're so much cared for in a pandemic in a way that you have never seen in a war. You're just the fuel and you are the fuel and you are the engine of the war, especially if you are a young person in the age of, you know, going to military and just being ordered to kill other people. And I think uh, in a pandemic, at least we have a, an enemy that is not a human being. We have an enemy that is, you know, a virus that we can, we can all uni- unite against, you know. And I think uh, that's the hardest part right now in even the war in Ukraine, when you think about, you know, neighbors invading their neighbors and, and taking over their country and destroy their lives. And I think that's the, the main thing in our company right now is just trying to, to teach people, you know, the simplicity of how peace is noble with its simplicity. You don't have to make it complicated. It's so simple, even with, with a chocolate bar, you know, you can just uh, celebrate, celebrate each other. And that's why we are so proud to keep contributing as a company that believes in, in a big mission. We are a small company acting on big platforms uh, right now, but we believe in the cause and we believe in the future because everyone uh, deserves, I think, a little bit of peace in their, in their daily lives. And that's what we wanted people to not have to live through the same experiences of adversity that our family had to go through. Well, Zurich, there's so much wisdom there as there is in everything you do. I want to thank you for joining us at Hub Dialogues and encourage our listeners to go watch the film Peace by Chocolate to see on the big screen Tariq and his family's extraordinary experience and the amazing contribution they're making to Antigua-Nish and to our entire country. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family, subscribe wherever you get your audio online, and leave us a rating and review. We greatly appreciate your feedback and comments. I'm the Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths, the host of today's program with Sean Spear, the Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Gornowski-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.